So, a missionary goes to Africa to visit a very old, very primitive tribal community. And this missionary is long-winded, and so he gives this long-winded sermon. In the midst of his long-winded sermon, he has a long-winded anecdote or story. And, you know, as he would preach, the interpreter would interpret, and the preacher would preach, and he'd interpret. But in the midst of this story, it goes on for like 30 minutes. And the interpreter's just looking at him, and finally the the missionary pauses and looks at the interpreter. And the interpreter says four words uh, at the end of this, at the end of this story, says four words and everyone just starts laughing. And so the missionary is like, that is amazing that you could convey my hilarious story to everybody in such a short amount of time and that they would get it. How did you do that? And the interpreter says, it was very easy. I just said four words. He said, well, what were the four words? I know. He said, story too long. So I say, he says joke, laugh. And they did. Somebody once asked Kim Smith, why do pastors feel the need to get up and tell jokes? Before service, why do they do that? Is it like some suppressed desire to be a comedian? It's a good question, right? So I'll tell you why I tell humorous stories or jokes. I want us to know um, that the full scope of emotions are appropriate in church. We can laugh. We can cry. We can shout. We can be. Which means I can be goofy. I can tell unhumorous jokes. You know, we get to be ourselves. But when we come into this place, it's important to make ourselves vulnerable and and to do so immediately to the Lord so that he can do what he wants to do. I'll be preaching today from from Matthew. I'll be in Matthew chapter 16. I'll be in Matthew chapter 18. Um, I preach from the English Standard Version. Just really, really clear expression uh, and translation. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Sina Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Today I want to talk about, just briefly, about the keys 
of the kingdom of heaven and binding and loosening. So in Matthew chapter 16 that we just read, Peter has correctly discerned that Jesus was the son of God. Jesus wasn't going around declaring he was the son of God. In fact, Jesus coined a phrase about himself and he called himself son of man because Jesus was both son of man and son of God. He was born of of the Virgin Mary and he was born of the Holy Spirit and he was son of man and son of God. But he didn't go around saying, I'm son of God. He called himself son of man. He'd refer to himself with this title, the son of man, the son of man. And then Peter says, you want to know who you are? You want to know? I know people are saying this and this and this, but here's who you are. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the son of God. And he discerned this. He, he knew this through the discerning of the spirit. And, and the Lord spoke this to him. And so Jesus says, you are blessed for discerning this. And you are blessed for this revelation. And this revelation, that's what my church is going to be built on. It's going to be the revelation of this truth. That's, that's how you're going to move forward. Jesus correctly confessed Jesus as the Son of God and that Jesus was greater than the Torah. He was greater than the written law. And because of Peter's discernment of the truth of Jesus, he is given the responsibility and the honor of interpreting to others the person and the teachings of Jesus. See, when we look in in Scripture, we see that there were religious elect. You know, there were people that were well-trained, that were even born into a priesthood, and that that they had the responsibility and the honor of interpreting scripture. I want you guys to know that that from the time that Jesus was here and lived and died on the cross and rose from the grave and ascended, that the Holy Spirit was sent to guide us into all truth. And now we have, as followers of Christ, we have the honor and the responsibility of interpreting the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer about our book knowledge. It's no longer about our our learning and our preparation and being born into a priesthood that mandated that that you you got to share Jesus and only you and only your you know your tribe, your family. Because we have that. And we first see this come right here. But this role was not just given to Peter, okay? A lot of times people make Peter out to be a little bit more than he, than he was, which is interesting because a couple chapters later, Jesus is sitting there saying, get behind me, Satan! And he's talking to Peter. So, you know, I think he had to, you know, I don't know. I see it as like letting Peter know, hey, don't, you know, think more highly of yourself than you ought. Um, but it was given to Jesus, but then it was given to the disciples. And actually two chapters later in Matthew 18, we see Jesus give... The, the same words to all the disciples. So in Matthew eighteen eighteen, Jesus says, Truly, I'm telling you the truth. I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
So the title of today's message is Interpreting Jesus. And I want to talk about, today I'm going to talk about binding and loosening and, and the keys of the kingdom. And then next week I'll further unpack Matthew 18. Because there's, there's this chunk of scripture that I think as the church we, we parse out. We make it like a, a, a buffet. Yeah, you want this? You don't want this? Hey, just take this by itself. It's good. Here you go. Here's orange slices. That's all you need. Oh, you want some Salisbury steak too? Here you go. And here's your orange slices and here's mac and cheese. And, and there's a passage, there's a group of scripture in Matthew 18 that, that we use to meet our needs, but we use it out of context so often. So bind and loose. Binding and loosing. What does it mean? Where does it come from? What's the origin of those words? So the word bind is deo. And it's a rabbinical phrase. So it's a phrase from rabbis, from, from, from those who teach, who were responsible to teach the Torah, to teach the law. So it's a rabbinical phrase that means to forbid, prohibit, declare to be illicit and unlawful. So that's what bind means. It's a rabbinical phrase meaning to be unlawful. Loose is lio, which is also a rabbinical usage that means to declare lawful. Okay? So to bind, unlawful, to loose, lawful. So a lot of times in scripture, we see different like metaphors. We see different references. You know, we see Paul. Paul uses terminology that's that's a military term or this an athletic term. And so when we hear, oh, this is a military term that means this, we go, okay, I understand the context of that. So with this phrase, we have to understand the context. This isn't a military term or an athletic term. This is a term from the priesthood. This is a term spoken by those who were responsible for bringing the word. And it says to bind and to loose. And basically what this means is to allow or to disallow conduct based on interpreting the Torah. To allow or to disallow certain conduct conduct based on the interpreting of that scriptural law. You guys, to accurately interpret something, we have to have an accurate source, right? Our source and our source material must be completely trustworthy and completely true. There's a lot of sources today. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of articles. There's a lot of blogs. There's a lot of sources. Some are trustworthy. Some are garbage. When we talk about the, the interpretation of, of Scripture, it's got to be true. And so I'm here to tell you that our source, our trustworthy source is Jesus Christ. Okay, it's Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus Christ and Scripture. It's Jesus Christ. Now, Scripture, it, it, what, a, what a blessing it is that we have the Word of God, that we have Scripture. Because you've got to figure, you know, people were reading about, you know... Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and even even Jesus and Paul and they didn't have what we have. They don't have a book that we can carry around with us or an app that we have on our phones that that has the Bible for us. Jesus is the source. 
John 16 verse 13 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus talking. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I say that the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here we have this incredible show of unity of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit bringing truth to you and I through the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the true interpretation of the Torah? Jesus is the true interpretation and the fulfillment of the law. And he passes that interpretation on and he even extends it to us. See, it wasn't just given to Peter and then to the disciples. It it was given to the followers of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus, are, are we all in agreement that Jesus is our source, that Jesus is our true source? He is that most reliable source material. How can we accurately interpret Jesus to a world around us who desperately needs to know who he is if we don't know him? If we don't spend time with him? How are we gonna how are we gonna wing it? Because that's all we're doing. If we want to be true and true in this responsibility of, of interpreting Christ, letting people know about his love, his actions, his motive, his word, all of these things, we need to know him. So this is the definition of interpret. If you look at the New Oxford American Dictionary, you know, there's a lot of dictionaries out there. And I, I scoff at Webster and we use the New Oxford American Dictionary today. So this is the definition of interpret. To explain the meaning of information, words, and actions. Okay, so let's think about Jesus. The definition of interpret, to explain the meaning of information, words, and actions. Are are we... You know, we've talked a lot about being equipped. Church, we've talked a lot lately about what's my responsibility, what's Andy's responsibility as pastors, what's your responsibility as the saints, as the church, and, and that our responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and your responsibility is the work of ministry. So are you equipped and prepared to explain the meaning of the actions of Jesus Christ? Now, you don't have to... I'm not talking about some scholarly thing. I'm talking about we know Jesus. We know what he did. We know what the result is because our lives have been changed. So we don't just have book knowledge of something. We know because he's changed our lives. And so I can explain his actions and I can also explain the actions that have come upon my life. See, that's called a testimony. And every one of us should be locked and loaded with a testimony. And a testimony is not, yeah, you know, I... You know, in Ot 5, I, you know, was living in the ghetto and, and doing drugs and selling drugs and I killed a few people and, and, and then I climbed my way out of the gutter 
And I scrapped together 50 cents and hopped on a bus to... Man, if you've gone that long without mentioning the name of Jesus, you've got a crummy testimony. Because your testimony is not about who you were then. Your testimony is about who you are now. Okay, our testimony is not about right and wrong. Our testimony is about dead and alive. We were dead and now we're alive. So you know what? I can tell you all about how I was dead, but why bother? Can I tell you about how I have life now because of Jesus Christ? That's our testimony. At five, praise God, he pulled you out of the drug dealing and you know the murderous and praise God for greyhounds. All that. Just don't make that. Don't major in that. Major in, in, in the majors, minor in the minors, and major on Christ. So continued definition of, of interpret. To understand an action, a mood, or a way of behaving as having a particular meaning or significance. And then their example, according to New Oxford, is her self-confidence was often interpreted as brashness. You know, when I look at this, this, this isn't a biblical definition. This is just good old dictionary definition. But when I see this, when I think about Jesus, it reminds me of the, the son of man, Jesus. He was a man. He had moods. He had feelings. He had emotions. I remember one time I, I served as a camp counselor at a youth camp um, in, in Silver Spring, Maryland. It was called Camp Sunshine. And I did it as like a missions trip before my senior year in college. I graduated from Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I spent the summer before my senior year at Camp Sunshine. And it was a bunch of ORU students. And we're sitting around talking about Jesus one night. And one of the guys starts talking about flatulence and starts talking about gas. And so as guys, and as the immature guys, let's be honest, I'm going to be honest, as immature guys, we start talking about, can you, you know, wouldn't it have been cool to, to be sitting around with Jesus and the disciples, and Jesus rips one off. And we start laughing about it, because we're like, he was human. And this one girl, she rebuked me, because I was the most vocal of the immature guys that were there. I mean, let's be honest. And she rebukes me, she goes, Jesus did not fart. I said, he most certainly did. He was human. And then, of course, we kicked it up a notch about like, hey, pull my finger. And, you know, I mean, the, he was a guy. He was human. We see, we see emotion from Jesus. We see emotion from Jesus that points us to a loving father. He's not some robotic religious icon. He's, he's daddy. He's Papa. He's Father. And Jesus fully represented the love of our awesome Father. And the Holy Spirit's a person too. He's not an it. The Holy Spirit's a he. It's a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. And he's there to comfort us and guide us. And he's there at moments notice. He's, he's with us. And in us. The next definition of Interpret is to perform a dramatic role or piece of music in a particular way that conveys one's understanding of the Creator's ideas. Do we have an understanding of the Creator's ideas? The Bible talks about having the mind of Christ and it talks about our need to have our mind renewed 
by the Holy Spirit so that we have the mind of Christ. The Bible talks about that when we're going down a certain direction and it's the wrong direction and it's a direction that won't lead us to Jesus, that we can rethink, we can change our minds and say, no, 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 no. I don't see Jesus. I don't sense Jesus. I, I was following him and now I, I'm, he's clearly not out in front of me. And we can rethink and we can change our minds. And it's as simple as that. And then we remind ourselves that he loves me. We remind ourselves that he loves you and that he has a plan for you and that he has good for you and that he's nothing but trustworthy. Nothing but trustworthy. So no matter what that path looks like right there, we can, we can trust him if he's out in front leading the way. And I'm not talking about way out in front. I'm just talking about he's just, he's just a stride ahead because we're walking with him. Sometimes we overcomplicate this gospel message, this message of the goodness of our God. And then the last definition from New Oxford American Dictionary is to translate orally or into sign language the words of a person speaking a different language. Man, this is a, this is a cynical world we live in. There's a, there's a lot of good, but man, there's a lot of bad and there's a lot of cynicism. And I'm telling you, Jesus is speaking a vastly different language than what we see in the world today. It's amazing to me that Jesus can be so hated by some, that Christians can be so hated when when Jesus, his entire life was all about love, demonstrating love, reflecting the Father's love. It was about love. That even other religions acknowledge him as a loving guy. I'm not going to say he's God, but hey, he was a loving prophet. He was a loving man. They still recognize that that he was defined by love, even even if people don't recognize him as God. But yet this most loving of people can be so hated. And us who bear his name, we can be hated as well. If we're speaking the language of Jesus Christ, if we're speaking the language of love, you guys, then there's no room for judgment. There's no room for religion. There's, there's not, not like that, that funky kind of religion that, that sticks to a list of do's and don'ts instead of clinging to the cross. The power to bind and loose to allow or disallow based on correctly interpreting Jesus as we see in chapter 16 is given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus are to be the authorized. We're supposed to have authority. We walk in authority to be interpreters of Jesus to every generation. What if, what if, what if our books, the Holy Bible... What if they were all taken from us? What if technology did away with it? We no longer had scripture. Could we still interpret Jesus to every generation? 
If we didn't have Scripture to fall back on, could we still interpret the person of Jesus Christ? Because we can say, hey, I know his heart. I know what he did in my life. I know the ways that he, he loves on me and strengthens me even now. Could we still interpret Jesus accurately and truthfully to a generation who needs to hear about him? So what about the keys of the kingdom? What's that all about? Peter was told, hey, I give you the keys of the kingdom. When the power of the keys of the kingdom are entrusted to Peter, what does Jesus mean? Let me just make this really simple, okay? There are people in this church that we have entrusted keys to. And there's, I'm I'm not speaking like spiritually. I'm talking about like physically a key. We've given you a key. I'm not talking about authority. I'm talking about you can get in the front door, okay? There's people in this church that we've given keys to. And that means that you can come and go as needed. And it means that you can provide others with the access to come in. And this is what Jesus is talking about with the keys of the kingdom that we have ways to give people access to the Lord where people can come and go as needed. We can go into the presence of the Lord. No, no, of the Lord. No, no pomp and circumstance. No, no ceremony. We can just come straight into the presence of God. We, we do so with just setting our hearts on Him. The, the Bible gives just a wonderful description of enter His gates with thanksgiving, enter His courts with praise. But we can just come right in, you guys. We don't need to rally the worship team. Kara, get the worship team. Stat! I got to come into the presence of the Lord. Can you be there in an hour? We, we can be in the presence of the Lord like that. Because we, we have access. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have access to God at all times. The keys mean that they will admit people into the kingdom... Or it will exclude them from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ solely based on our willingness and our passion. See, I can stand outside that building all day with my key and not let you in if I refuse to use it. If I refuse to give you access, if I refuse to, to, to guide you up to there and to stick that key in there and to turn it, then I can... I can either give you access or I can exclude you. It's a harsh way of looking at it, right? I mean, it's like smack. Tell us a joke or something. Be funny again. Tell us about the missionary in Africa. Don't tell us that, that we keep people from the kingdom of God. But friends, when we refuse to share Jesus, when we refuse because we're worried about, well, I don't, it's not polished. And well, I don't have enough scripture memorized. And oh, I... I then we, you guys, then we're not giving people access to the kingdom. We're excluding them from entering into that thing that you and I have. Does that make sense? The keys of the kingdom. You guys, Jesus is indicating that you and I, that we would inherit these same authoritative powers. There is, there's authority that we, we would have these authoritative powers the keys to the kingdom. The, the power to bind 
and to loose through the accurate interpretation of the person of Jesus Christ. You guys, there's not a force of evil. There's not a power of darkness. There's not a gate of hell that can prevail against us when we walk in this kind of authority. And if you know me, well, actually, even if you don't know me, if this is the first time you've ever seen me, it's pretty obvious to go, that dude has no problem being expressive. He talked about flatulence in church even. I don't know if he crossed the line, but this guy could clearly just lays it out there. So no matter how loud I get, no matter how quiet I get, no matter how somber I say it, or no matter how, how you know, like, loud I get, when, when I, we're talking about binding and loosening, we're not talking about any authority that's within me other than Jesus Christ. What I permit or what I exclude in the name of Jesus, it has to line up with Jesus. So I've got to know what he thinks about the matter. Now I hear I hear Christians rebuking stuff all the time. I'm like, eh, that's Jesus ain't even hearing that. You're totally contradicting what Jesus wants. Right now I just I, I rebuke I rebuke this pain that my sister is is walking through this difficult season and I'm like, don't rebuke her pain. God wants her walking through that difficult season because she's going to grow in character through this. She's leaning on him and she's running to him and, and she's growing in character and she's going to come out of this stronger. So don't you go rebuking the pain she's walking, you know, through. And I'm not talking about like, like a physical pain. I, you know, I'm just using an example here. There's times we walk hard things out so that we can see the faithfulness of God. When our refrigerator goes out, you guys, we shouldn't just whip out the credit card and just swipe and say, okay, new refrigerator. I guess I'm going to be paying that off now for, you know, for another couple of years. When our refrigerator goes out, we should hit our knees and say, God, would you show me your faithfulness? I now need a new refrigerator. Lord, would you show me your faithfulness? Would you show me your provision, Lord? And, and, and you know what? There's some hard things we might have to walk out. We might have to get on the phone. Marie, do you have a, an igloo cooler? You have two of them. Great. Can I come get them? Awesome. And we might have to run to 7-Eleven and get ice. And we might have to take everything out of our refrigerator and freezer. We might call up our neighbor. Can I stick my steaks in your freezer? Because mine just went out. And we might... There might be some challenges we've got to walk out. We can't sit there and say, Jesus, right now I just loose you, Lord Jesus, to preserve my steaks to not rot and to preserve my milk to not go clumpy. Because that's, that's not how we walk out our faith. We walk out our faith with actions that represent Christ, that represent a faith in Him. So here's what I want to encourage you guys. Matthew, Matthew 18. You know, we're going to stay there next week. And, and just to kind of give you a glimpse, we're going to back up from where we were. And, you know, if you've heard of the principle, the Matthew 18 principle, have you guys ever heard that? The Matthew 18 principle is a principle that shows what we do when we've been offended or hurt by a brother or sister. And it lays it out there what we're supposed to do. But it lays it out there the actions that we're supposed to take. 
it starts off with go. The word go. And as we as we sort through this, we're going to see just how much the Lord values unity. He values unity and grace and forgiveness. And at the end of the preach, we'll wrap it up with with Peter saying, "Lord, you know, how many times do I forgive my rotten brother?" Now, Andrew. That, why is he picking on Andrew? I don't know. I don't get it. Peter's brother was Andrew. Maybe he's hypothetical. But he goes seven times, Lord, seven? And Jesus is like, nah. Seven times 70. To walk that part out, we better have the knowingness of Jesus Christ in our lives. Not just the knowledge. I intentionally didn't want to say knowledge. The, the knowing of Jesus. If we're going to interpret the heart of Jesus, we better know his heart. Otherwise, that's dangerous ground, friends. I don't want to make suppositions about Jesus. I want to know his heart so I can clearly say, this is his heart. He said it in his word, but man, he demonstrates it to you right now.